Good morning, everybody. We are going to start right now. Thank you for joining. My name is Rochelle Muckle. I am the Exhibitions Operations Coordinator at AMT. Um, and I just want to get a raise of hand if you guys can hear me right now. Any raised hands? Can you guys hear us? Let me check my other. I see more oh. raised hands. Thank, Thank you, you Andrew. Andrew. <laughs> there we go. Thanks, Bob. Okay, great. Well, we are here today with our Vice President of Strategic Analytics, Mr. Pat McGibbon. Um, he is going to be giving you guys an update, so thank you, Pat, so much for joining us. Uh, and we also have our marketing gunslinger, Mr. Steve Miller, right below me. My hair seems to be a little wild this morning. I don't know what it is. But, uh, bad hair day? Are you guys on the No, same? it's not a bad hair day. It just seems wild, you know, just kind of a little bit, you know. Okay. But you know, when it's this color, it tends to do that. It tends to... Yeah? Are you guys having the same rain stench that we're having? No, we are... Let's see. I think today is only going to be 77. So and uh, blue skies. So it's our summer. Don't I tell know. anybody. Don't tell anybody. Great. All right. Well, I'm going to pass it over to you guys. Um, well, quick, quick question for you, sure. uh, Rochelle. Any any news on the show that that uh, yes, we, we do haven't have heard about? A few big updates. Um, we actually just launched our conference reg this past Monday. So exhibitors, you guys get $100 off of the IMTS conference. Um, if you guys want that, feel free to email me. I'll give you the promo code for that. Also, um, we have eight additional conferences this year. So this is a big year for conferences for IMTS. Um, lots of education. Lots of education, absolutely. That's important. The, another update is, as you guys have noticed, we've been doing a lot of webinars. We have three webinars for our exhibitors per month. So definitely check out the schedule and make sure you're registered for those. Check out the eKit Wisdom. We are doing a redesign of it, so it'll be more helpful for you guys. You guys can get some quick videos on useful things to really help you get prepared for the show. And that's really all my updates. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, we are we are doing a lot of webinars, and uh, and it and some people might think, well, it's it's overkill. But the point is, is that we just want to make sure we're giving you as much information as possible. Yeah. Uh, that uh, will, you know, at, at this stage of the year and how close we are to the show, our our objective is to give you as much help in being successful. Yeah. Uh, at IMTS, but at the same time, of course, a lot of this information can be used on a day-to-day uh, -day basis. Yeah. And then we have that occasional, uh, you know, uh, wild card, yeah. like Mr. this guy, right? Yeah. Every every quarter, we got to we got to come in and we got to find out how are we, it, what's the future looking like for us. So Absolutely. that's where we are. We're here with Pat, and look at this. He's got the word patience. <laughs> up there. At least he didn't say vote for Trump, you know, so, uh, yeah. or anybody else for that matter. <laughs> so, but obviously being an election year, and this is probably our last economic update until after the show. Correct. But, be, but we'll probably have another one before the election. So I'm very curious to hear what you have to say for us today. Pat, welcome. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here. And speaking of Trump, 
Um, the uh, first update we have after the show will be at the Trump Doral in Miami at the Global Marketing and Forecasting Conference. Uh, it's, uh, I think, a 44th uh, uh, anniversary and a uh, great lineup of speakers on marketing and on what's going on with individual customer markets. So that's my plug. You kind of opened me up with it, with the Trump piece. I didn't even know you were going to say that. Well, so, hey, that. But you know what? But you, it's like right now, you know, it's sort of like everybody just says Trump. 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 We're going to be the Trump. Trump. Okay, uh, I'm going to jump off webcam. Okay. So, hey, uh, hi, Rochelle. How's life been with you, Steve? Hey, it's good, Pat. It's good. It's very good. Obviously, like I say, the summertime here in uh, here in Seattle. But uh, of course, with the election, a lot of seems like there's a lot of nervousness out there. You know, you, you, in the business. <laughs> I mean, everybody, but especially in the business community. Yeah, uh, that's not here, but it's a it's a global uh, element, and I'll, I'm going to step right into that in just a second. Let me see if I get this to work here. Yeah, and you got patience up there, and I, I think that that's, uh, uh, <laughs> that's a really good word for us right now. Absolutely. Uh, last time I, we were talking, um, I had said for the, third, uh, for the second quarter in a row uh, that energy, China, and strong dollar were the, the, the engines that were driving where we were going with manufacturing, both globally and in the United States. And while those are still somewhat true, the uh, U.S. manufacturers and to, to a significant extent, uh, the European manufacturers have done a really good job of mitigating these three particular pieces, uh, the energy in China and in the United States, the, the strong dollar. Uh, so while they're still on the, the, on the table as issues, they're not the things that we should be keeping an eye out from here going forward, primarily because we've got a pretty good picture about where China is going to uh, land and when it's going to start to have its uh, modest rebound. Uh, energy prices are where we, they are. We, we, do ha we do have a picture of that? We, yes. We have an idea. Oh. We'll get to there and just cool. be, be patient. I'm okay. Sorry, <laughs> but <laughs> the uh, and with the energy prices, uh, it is something that we thought might change uh, between when we last talked and this and this uh, presentation today, uh, because we knew there was going to be an OPEC meeting, and um, uh, no one really can predict what was going to come out of, out of that particular meeting. But uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia taking. Um, a very strong view about what the numbers should be as far as production levels uh, has kept us at where we're at now with the, with the price per barrel. And we'll probably stay that way until the next time they have a meeting unless there's some significant uh, environmental or political event. Um, and I don't know, when. how often do they meet? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I, oh. uh, I, I, uh, I don't think there's a regular schedule. Oh, okay. Uh, so, just take a look at what the, one of the things that really has us concerned is uh, what's going on between the relationship of world trade and GDP. Uh, world trade is great for us because when people trade, they make things. And when they make things, they buy machinery usually to do that. Uh, so in the past, whenever GDP would move up two or three percentage points uh, in a given year, world trade would would go a multiple of that. It'd be uh, four, you know, anywhere from two, three, four times whatever the number was for uh, growth in world trade. I mean, in world uh, domestic product. But uh, that hasn't happened this last uh, cycle. As we came out of the uh, 2009 uh, Great Recession, 
world trade took a, an enormous jump, uh, grew by about the 15, 16% two years in a row. Uh, and it fell down to the level of, of uh, GDP. And um, we're expecting it to bounce up again when GDP made its modest improvements in 12 and 13. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't grow by multiple. It uh, stayed almost at the exact same level of growth as, uh, as GDP. There's a lot of underlying factors there. Um, could probably spend almost an hour just talking about those, those points. But the, the key part to take away from here, Steve, is that uh, with global trade uh, restructuring its relationship with uh, world GDP growth, uh, it means that uh, we should see almost any uh, recession if, there, if there's one in our future, and there, we don't see it right now, it should be a modest uh, impact on, on manufacturing, so the dramatic impact it's had in the past. And uh, any growth in, in, uh, in the economy worldwide is, is not going to have the rapid expansion of manufacturing capacity that we've uh, enjoyed in the past, because trade's not going to make huge jumps as well. Uh, you know, well it's not going to be the roller coaster. It's not, yeah, the roller coaster, it looks like the roller coaster effect is going to be out of, out of the uh, equation for the foreseeable future. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Um, now, certainly the, the major economies, uh, the Western economies in China, have been trying to get GDP to grow at a faster rate than it uh, has been. Uh, with the Chinese, it's to get it back uh, to 9 to 10 plus percentage points because uh, it takes basically five, six, six and a half percentage points of growth to keep the engine they've already created just turning. Uh, to get it to grow takes a significantly more greater uh, growth in their GDP than uh, that six or six point five they've been registering for the last couple of years. Um, Europe's been trying to get theirs to move up for, as well. Uh, around the world, we've seen a, a variety of unconventional financial policies to try to move their individual countries' GDPs up. Uh, in Japan, we're likely to see at the end of the year uh, negative interest rates to try to get their economy uh, picking up again. Uh, we've had currency manipulation to try to get countries' individual export markets uh, to I mean, export the numbers to increase because a lower value currency makes uh, their products look, manufactured products look uh, less expensive overseas. Um, but that uh, has uh, a, a kind of like a catch-22 effect in that as other countries uh, do similar moves, uh, it negates the move you've made and you have to make larger devaluations to, to uh, get that advantage back again and get into a nasty cycle. And fortunately, I think we've found the bottom on that particular uh, process. Then there's some uh, fiscal and monetary policies that uh, have been used in a variety of different areas. Uh, here in the United States, we've used quantitative easing and we've uh, stopped that. Um, going forward, and in Europe they were using monetary, uh, monetary and fiscal policies, but uh, they pretty much got to the end of the uh, path on, on both those uh, courses because uh, any greater movements in either fiscal or monetary policies uh, are not going to have uh, the, the correct amount of uh, positive impact on their economic growth. In other words, they're going to start getting negative returns on the work they do in the fiscal and monetary policies. So we kind of run to the. The point is, we're kind of running to the end of our rope about what we can artificially do to uh, change the way the growth in the world is going, or change the speed at which it's growing. And I've got I've got a very naive question to ask you. Sure. And uh, and I apologize to everybody if I'm the only one who kind of is wondering about this. 
You know, I've been reading, I've been, you know, I've seen the phrase negative interest rates bandied about quite a bit lately and, and stuff that I've been reading. Can you, can you really kind of explain to me how negative interest rates happen and how they work? Well, uh, you have I mean, how, how can you have a negative interest rate? Well, uh, let's start uh, with an interest rate. Let's make it really easy. We'll go back to the, uh, the 80s, 10%. Uh, and the 10%, uh, back at that time, there was uh, about six or seven points of that 10% that was inflation. And the real interest rate, uh, the money that the bank actually made above inflation was the two to four points between six and seven, adding up to 10. Okay. Uh, negative interest rates is when you have an interest rate that's less than the inflation rate. Okay. Because you're actually, you know, what you're getting back is worth less than what you lent. I got you. All right. That makes sense now. All right. Okay. Um, Thank you, and I apologize if I'm the only one who didn't know that. No, no problems. Uh, so some of the other challenges that we're looking at uh, beyond China, the strong dollar, uh, and energy prices. There's a, uh, and the first one here, uh, weakness in emerging markets, is, is become uh, quite serious uh, over the course of the last uh, year. Then we've got the, the EU and its manufacturing expansion and Russian trade, uh, unique relationship there I'll touch on in just a second. And then uh, my uh, my favorite one is kind of a uh, has two elements to it. Uh, Mexico's got game. Uh, they're coming up the uh, the quality curve in production and manufacturing at a pretty rapid pace. Starting with the emerging markets, <clears throat> emerging markets. Uh, if you t take a peek here, you've got uh, in 2016 the estimated average growth of the world is going to be 2.2 percent in uh, GDP. And we've got a fair amount of the emerging markets that are, are going to actually do better than the average, world average. And we've got a few that are going to do worse. And of course, we've got uh, our worst case of places, uh, Russia, who's falling, uh, you know, falling in hard times because of the price of energy, because um, oil is their biggest barter and uh, currency uh, creator. And then Brazil, which is going through a host of problems. Uh, I mean, this morning, I think you probably heard the news, their president was impeached, uh, and it's not it's not the kind of uh, press or political position you want to have uh, just months away from your the Olympics. country being on the world stage yeah. Uh, yeah. for about eight to ten weeks. And not to mention the Zika virus, which is uh, oh, yeah. impacting yeah. them big time, too. So. Exactly. And that, um, that's had an impact on uh, economics throughout South America. But uh, with Brazil, it's been particularly bad. In fact, uh, machine tool demand, I, I believe, was off by about 20% last year down there, and it's going to be uh, off by some similar number in, uh, in 2016. Um, in Russia, uh, it's going to be a, a decline. Uh, we haven't heard a number put to that figure for Russia, but uh, bottom line, if your economy is going that far south that fast, um, then you're going to have problems in almost every element of the uh, sector, consumer spending, manufacturing and probably even in service areas. Right. But going back to the rest of the team here, these countries that have been growing, uh, uh, are expected to grow at better than 2.2%. Uh, if you took, were to take a peek just two years ago, uh, they were going growing, uh, most of them, except for India, China, and Indonesia, most of them were growing at double that uh, percentage rate. And they were really pulling uh, uh, the world along by buying a lot of uh, manufactured goods from the West and China. Uh, India uh, is you know, right at the top of the list, 7.4, that's a good number for them. Uh, like I said before, China at 6.2 is about three points behind where it needs to be to be able to see growth. And uh, they're making some really solid and smart moves in China. And I think that they'll be back in the game as a, uh, 
a positive impact on world growth sometime in the next year. Uh, when I say they're doing the right things, they are spreading their manufacturing um, sector across the broader expanse of industries and geography. So it's going to involve more people. Uh, oh, that's a good thing. Yes. In fact, uh, AMT is working to try to help put on a show uh, in pretty much in the middle of China, what we call, you know, it's in Chongqing, and it's the laptop capital of the world. Uh, one out of every three laptops uh, in the world are made in Chongqing. Chongqing. And, um, uh, and it represents that, that second tier city where a lot of jobs are, where a lot of manufacturing is uh, going to be done in the future, and a good amount of manufacturing is already being done. Um, and they're getting more into some of the services, uh, becoming, uh, trying to build up their middle class. It's, um, they've got a lot of people at work, but they, uh, that middle class, the point where you get a, a certain amount of disposable income that you can have an impact on your economy's uh, growth by spending money, uh, is something the Chinese just haven't quite gotten to as yet. Um, but while it has been a drag for the last couple of years, uh, if you look on the right, Oxford Economics is expecting that um, uh, most of these countries, with the exception of, uh, of India, are going to see a significant pickup in their pace of economic growth. And so, so 2017 and 18, um, most analysts, uh, including us at AMT, believe that the world economy and the world growth figure will pick up a, a pretty significant amount. Uh, you're looking at probably a third or quarter um, increase in where we're at from right now, from 2.2 to 2.8, or maybe even 3. Um, in the EU, that's a, it's a bit of a sticky problem there. They, oil prices brings in two problems. Uh, UK and Germany, Italy, and France uh, have a significant amount of their business that's tied to commodity prices and oil. And having oil uh, and commodity prices being as low as they are today uh, has a really negative impact on the profitability, corporate profitability numbers for the entire country. Um, the second pain is that um, while the U.S. has China and Europe as the major, two, their two major trading partners, uh, and the kind of at a second tier is Japan, um, and after that everybody kind of falls to, be, to an average number. Uh, Europe. Uh, has built a reliance not just on China, and, but on Russia as well. And so it's got two of its big pieces up there with the U.S. kind of right there, um, somewhere close to Russia, in between Russia and China. But with Russia, a major portion of their uh, export market, um, and it's being damaged by the fact that the Russians just don't have the, the currency to be able to buy as many European manufactured products as they have in the past. And again, that's because of the prices of oil. Uh, their ability to turn their products into uh, their key resource, oil, into, uh, into currency. Uh, so it's had an, uh, it slowed down the manufacturing sector growth in Europe. Then we talked about it earlier, turmoil and fear. You've got everything from the terrorist tax in Brussels and France. Um, you've got challenges with the, uh, I don't know if you've follow, been following the, the new labor laws that they're trying to get passed in France. Um, uh, currently, the way the law works is you can't, you can't fire somebody uh, for almost any reason. If you're going out of business, <laughs> you're not making any money, you still can't fire someone. Right. So the French government is trying, uh, their economic ministers introduced legislation that would say that in an economic downturn or when a company is having um, a, uh, an issue in its market, say it's being 
say you, it was Blockbuster and Netflix is coming in and, and, it, and uh, the rest of the economy is doing well, but they've been uh, technologically made out nearly obsolete, uh, they wouldn't be able to get rid of their employees and it would just accelerate uh, their decline and prevent the opportunity to try to innovate their ways out of it or to restructure their company. Uh, so the legislation sounds pretty, uh, pretty fair in, in, in U.S. standards, but it's creating a great deal of turmoil in, in, uh, in France and people in the streets protesting uh, on a daily basis. And then finally you've got, uh, you know, not finally, but in addition to that, you've got uh, the immigrants from, um, from uh, the Saudi Peninsula, from uh, right, Syria. millions. Uh, right. And that's, that's a, a significant social cost strain on the governments throughout the EU. And yep. money that they could have been using to help uh, do more stimulus in the economy through uh, infrastructure uh, projects, uh, uh, trying to bring uh, more companies into uh, government contracts. But that spending has to be uh, managed so to manage the overall deficits in the, co in the company, countries as well. And, uh, and other, other turmoil, you know, how, how, how real is the threat of uh, Great Britain pulling out of the EU? Well, it depends whether you talk to uh, somebody in the EU uh, on the mainland or in England. Um, the, uh, it's, uh, I think you can see the seriousness of the, of the uh, British citizen about the subject and that you had the U.S. president over there sort of lobbying uh, against the separation. Um, yeah, and, that was very popular. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the response yeah. to him doing that, uh, using the, the the Queen's birthday as a pulpit to <laughs> punish the British about uh, what they should do with respect to the EU, right. that went right. over like a uh, yeah, like, that, um, yeah, that I, you know, uh, the people that I know in England are saying it's it's better than fifty percent that they they'll pull out. Um, they uh, they've always had a loose. Uh, relationship in it because the currency isn't quite uh, yeah. in it as uh, other countries are, um, and I think the I think the channel, you know the last part of this uh, slide here the Greek issue it's not over and they still got a couple of other people that are sitting on the fence and could fall one right one way or the other with respect to financial issues as, as a country as a whole and they, you know uh, for you know first guy out doesn't have to pay the uh, pay the light bill um, it's the last guy that leaves the room and. Yeah, that's weighing on the uh, UK's mind as well. Uh, they've got their own uh, issues to deal with. Uh, uh, certainly Ireland has made a significant comeback, but it's been on the brink a couple of times in the last uh, decade. Um, so, yeah, when you ask about the question about whether British are really going to stay or go, uh, friends of mine who are, are not uh, radical left or right in England, they're pretty much in the middle, uh, believe that there's a, a better than 50% chance that England will... Um, leave the union. So we'll, we'll see. That would certainly have a significant impact on the economies for, for the rest of the countries in there, and particularly Germany, because the UK has been um, one of the places that's been able to help absorb some of the, the challenges. 51st state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're 51st state. Uh, that's interesting. Beat Canada underneath the wire, huh? Why not? Um, I'm sure uh, whoever's president will be welcome uh, with uh, welcome with open arms to the union. Uh, yes, moving on to Mexico, 
Uh, <laughs> on the, is, that, is that a political statement? It's a joke. No, it's no. Trust me, I am. I am no. I have no clue about this election at all. I'm not backing anybody. I'm. I'm making jokes about everybody. So you know. Okay. Just be I'm gentle lost. on the ones about me. I'm lost. Yeah. I'm lost. With Mexico, uh, the key there is that uh, it's sort of a, a, a double edge for the U.S. Uh, producers and, and, and distributors of manufacturing technology. Uh, in the first part, they're seeing some uh, very sophisticated machinery um, going into Mexico uh, in place of being placed in the United States. Uh, the point is it's still being sold, and it's being sold fairly close to uh, the markets that the, our, our domestic players uh, have access to. Um, two good examples are aerospace and medical equipment. Aerospace, um, just before the turn of the century, back in the late 1990s, you could measure exports of uh, aerospace products from Mexico uh, in, uh, in millions, uh, maybe hundreds of millions by the time we got to 2000, but still in millions. And most of it was un uh, parts that were not quite finished, uh, that we're going to be finished in the United States, uh, we'll go through the inspection processes before being integrated into uh, structural frames, et cetera, or engines. That's no longer true. I mean, they're, they're doing fantastic work along the uh, northern border with uh, Texas and New Mexico, um, uh, region there that has gotten very good at uh, high-precision machining. Uh, and you're seeing some very sophisticated products go in there. And uh, we had an AMT trade mission just recently go to Mexico, and, and, and they came back with a, a similar assessment. Um, it's uh, it's not uh, it's not the Mexico that uh, they remembered the last they were there. It's a you know you still can get inexpensive labor work done there. You've got a labor intensive product. They've got a, a, an answer and solution for that. Mm -hmm. There are some very sophisticated products that are being made there with high tech machinery. And now aerospace uh, exports are in the tens of uh, billions of dollars. I think they'll finish up uh, 2015 when the numbers come out at around um, 29, 29 billion. Yeah, somewhere in that, that neighborhood. I believe it's 29 billion. Uh, so they've really upped their game then. Yes. Uh, no, sorry, 19 billion. That's only off by 10. Uh, 19 billion. Um, oh, and they well, have a positive trade never. balance in aerospace, and that means that. Uh, you know, irrespective of all the planes they bring in for their airlines and for uh, private purposes, uh, the parts and components they ship back out to other countries is gr uh, significantly greater than, than what they import. With medical equipment, um, it didn't really exist down there before uh, 2000. Actually, probably didn't even exist before 2007, but it's changed dramatically as well. Uh, again, there you're talking about it was in very small batches, and it was uh, it was products. It was more equipment than it was products uh, you, you would see being used by patients. And today, um, they're exporting more than six billion dollars in uh, medical equipment and devices, and that's uh, nearly twice what the U.S. Uh, imports from China. Uh, and this, this, these products are are getting FDA approval um, and getting it at a much uh, simpler and faster pace than their Chinese counterparts. You know, so that's something that I would never have guessed. Yeah, well, exactly. So what you're saying is that they're, they're, they, they really up their game to where the quality of, uh, they're able to do, to yes. do much more complicated, sophisticated. And, and, and it's because they're buying more sophisticated equipment and they're, they're investing in automation. 
um, at a pretty significant pace. Okay. Uh, but coming back to North America, and then that was a good segue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. Of the uh, Western economies, uh, U.S., Canada, and Mexico uh, really rank very high. We're, we're doing better than the EU. Uh, EU's uh, growth rate, e GDP growth rate, is at uh, one point something. And we're at two point something, approaching three uh, percentage points of real growth on an annual basis. So uh, we're kind of the shining star. And when you take a look at some of the um, big, larger emerging markets, only India stands out. I mean, like I said before, Brazil uh, is uh, got a neg uh, negative, uh, negative uh, growth rate for uh, their GDP, and their machine tool markets have fallen dramatically in the last uh, couple of years. Uh, now, Brazil, uh, a good portion of all that is partially because the oil prices have uh, dropped and the government depends upon oil revenues to, to run, and it's partially on the fact that there's a great deal of uh, concern and turmoil going on in, Mex uh, in uh, Brazil. And um, those things are things that have ha occurred in the past. We've seen the Brazilian market move dramatically from, um, from dismal to fantastic. I go back to the late 90s when the uh, auto industry, uh, over the course of just um, five years, put $20 billion worth of equipment in uh, to revitalize their auto industry, and it was at the same time that they were moving from an all-gas uh, automobile industry, in, engine industry to one that was a mixture of uh, gas engines and engines that ran off of uh, ethanol produced off of sugarcane uh, refuse. So it, it was, it's one of those markets that it's going to be on, and when it's on, it's really on. And when it's off, it's not going to be the best in the world, but it's still going to be one of the top 20 machine tool markets in the world. Uh, and you really can't go in and out there because they, uh, Brazilians are very, uh, um, very patriotic, and uh, they don't uh, take uh, to carpetbaggers very well. So if you're going to play in the market, you got to stick it out. That's uh, one thing we would we tell our members here at AMT. If you're there and you plan to be there in the future, you need to stay there. Uh, but north of uh, the Panama Canal, uh, we're not expecting any kind of a recession anytime soon. This is a recession index that uh, uh, Oxford Economics puts together. And as you can see, it's uh, been pretty darn accurate uh, over the course of the last uh, 50 years. And uh, that index is saying they don't see anything happening in 16 and don't see anything right now appearing on the horizon in 17 as, as well. So the recession, while we, it feels like it's all, um, almost got us around the neck sometimes, um, it's not really uh, something we need to put a whole a lot of weight on in the United States. Okay. okay. And why is that? Why, uh, when all, everybody's after... Why, why is that, Pat? Why is that? That's right. Why is that? It's, you know, uh, I, I want to know. Sure. Uh, top of the list is that um, uh, U.S. manufacturers and service people have been doing a great job of offsetting the strength of the dollar through productivity and innovation. Uh, we've done a really good job on our export-intensive uh, products of uh, increasing our game and uh, being able to produce those at a lower cost. Now, some of that's uh, the intelligence of the workforce we have in the United States, and some of it has to do with how readily American manufacturers have grabbed onto automation and implemented it in their factories. Uh, automation has just been uh, an amazing uh, 
addition to the uh, machine tool and manufacturing technology sale on a regular basis. We took a, took a look at the average price increases um, over the course of uh, the last uh, seven years. And uh, if you take out automation, machine tool prices really haven't moved hardly a, an inch. But uh, the additional increase in um, value and, and increase in the prices uh, have been the addition of automation in almost every instance. And it's happening at almost every level. You're seeing automation not just in the large GMs and GEs and Boeings. You're seeing it down at the job shop level now. People trying to help uh, make every person they have on that floor that much more productive to, to help reduce his uh, labor cost per piece uh, significantly. Okay. Uh, one of the other reasons why we're doing pretty well is we've got a fantastic middle class. We've got a, a great workforce and our employment uh, has been growing at a, uh, continuously for the last uh, three, four years. Uh, and that's not just in uh, the service sector, but in manufacturing, both durable and non-durable. Um, we have had dips. Uh, so in 2009, 2015, we saw some declines on monthly basis in manufacturing employment, but it's making its way back up again. And uh, a well-employed uh, workforce creates a well um, endowed the consuming uh, consumer base and middle class. And that's one that's always been our strength is our middle class. Uh, the ability to have the disposable income and to help pull us out of uh, any kind of economic doldrums uh, at almost any time. And they what, about, what about, but what about the, uh, the argument lately or for the last several years is that the middle class is disappearing? Well, um, a, it, if it's disappearing, it's, it's uh, doing so at a very, very, very slow rate because the amount of, uh, of um, disposable income that's coming into the, into the market has not uh, been diminishing. Really? Now, um, you know, I guess you could have the, uh, the upper end of the middle class spending more um, to help co compensate for that, but that's uh, not what uh, we've seen. Hmm. Okay? That's interesting to me. And basically, we kind of covered this slide already, consumer growth and spending. So well, let's go right into the uh, key industries, okay? Okay. Let's start with auto, one of my favorite to topics. The auto industry has been uh, a significant part of the, the market for the last four years. Uh, and this year, in 2016, um, it grew a little bit slower, and in 2017, going to take a little bit of a rest, uh, rest on the production side. Uh, capital spending will still be there. Uh, investments in machine tools will still be there. Um, but they're going to be, uh, there may be some delays and, and struggles in getting all that processed. Um, and, it's, um, and it's because there's some challenges in the market. Uh, there's been a restructuring of uh, demand. There's been more people wanting midsize and larger SUVs because price of oil has gone down, and the auto industry wasn't quite prepared for that. I don't think anybody expected the oil prices to drop as rapidly as they did, and it's had an impact on what customers want uh, off the uh, dealer's floor. The second thing is that on the dealer's floor, there is a plethora of cars that are under recall before they've even been taken off the trucks and put on onto the lot. I'm just curious. Okay, you know what? Um, 
if your car, if you have a car or, or you know somebody who has a car that's been recalled, raise your hand. I just want to see because I've, I've had two cars recalled. Yeah, same here. Yeah, look at that. You know, look at that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, anyway, yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Right. And it's creating a, a major pain for the dealers. And the dealers uh, are, are really having a problem um, accepting cars in, in some cases because uh, ones that don't need recalls because uh, they've got to get the ones that have, need recalls uh, off the lot. And um, they're making either special deals to get people to take them and bring them back when they have the piece to fix them, or more often than not, they're having to wait until the uh, parts that uh, will uh, rectify the recall issue come in, make the adjustment, and be able to promise that the, to the consumer that they're going to get a car that's already been uh, adjusted for whatever defect was, uh, rec uh, the recall was for. Uh, and you can see where this can foul up the system of sales. And we've always seen that in, the, in uh, January and then uh, March, the annual average number of um, uh, automobiles and light trucks sold uh, was uh, significantly impacted. Um, now, uh, we see sales is not production, uh, and there are going to be some, some expansion in production areas where consumers have shown increased interest and demand, but still leaves the problem that for uh, space, um, where, where are the cars the, that they uh, have to fix going to go until, the, until they're fixed? Uh, where the cars that the deal, uh, builders want to put onto parking lots or dealership lots are uh, going to go. So right. it's probably going to have a, a create a, a slowdown in uh, production rates and uh, change the focus of the automobile manufacturers uh, in the short term. And I say in the short term because there are a couple of uh, major events that have recently been announced. So for example, GM. Um, has a uh, $800 million project going into Spring Hill, Tennessee on a new engine line. Um, that's going to probably break ground next May uh, if everything goes as planned. And that's taking into account the delays related to uh, getting focused on how to get uh, the recall products uh, moving once again. Then you've got some foreign direct investment. Foreign direct investment has been awesome in the United States. For the past 10 years, the U.S. has been the, the country has received the greatest amount of foreign direct investment, still has. And again, it's because of productivity, innovation, stability of the government, um, cheap, cheap energy uh, for the plants, and a, and a strong, um, knowledgeable workforce. Um, but and incentives. The local, you know, local governments are really jumping all over the incentives too. Because the next one that's going to hit you is the, the, the latest uh, announcement I've heard is about a, a German automotive giant, um, name not to be disclosed, coming into um, Mississippi, and they'll break ground on, a, on nearly a, a half a million uh, square meter facility uh, sometime next year, with uh, production coming out of it sometime in 2020. And the reason they chose Mississippi. A $263 million tax incentive package that got the uh, German company to put the plant in Mississippi. 2,500 jobs. Mississippi expects to make that money back in less than five years. It doesn't start with a V. No. It doesn't. Okay. And medical equipment. I have a question about them later, so go ahead. Well, yeah. Okay. Um, we'll be ready for it. The, Just want to make sure there's, th there's time, so. Medical equipment, which falls into this uh, electrical equipment area, 
uh, it's been strong both in 16, expect to be strong in 17 as well. Actually, uh, consumer electronics has been a surprise. Uh, they bought, they've always bought a three to four percent of our uh, manufacturing technology products uh, overall market in each year. Uh, they're going to be a little bit larger in 2016 and significantly larger in 2017. Really? Uh, aerospace is taking a pause. I think I said that last time we were talking too. It's still in that pause, uh, but it's about to take off again. Um, uh, as an example, Boeing is putting up a new plant in uh, Kings Mountain, North Carolina. It's going to be $121 million and uh, nearly 100 jobs uh, to work on assembly processes for products that will be going into the 787 down in Charleston. Uh, and then one that uh, I know will be right up your alley is recreational equipment. Um, when I say that, I'm not talking about golf clubs. I'm talking about... Um, is there AT another? <laughs> yes. ATVs, boats, uh, snowmobiles, jet skis. Oh, sweet. Uh, it's just going off, uh, off the rockers in part because of the less expensive uh, uh, gasoline prices. Uh, one company, uh, Polaris, uh, it's got a $35 million uh, um, expansion is put in the South, South Dakota plant, and uh, it's got a $691 million new facility going into Huntsville, Alabama. Now, wow. probably don't, you know, there are snowbills with the Polaris brand on them, but the Polaris is much larger than just uh, the snowbills. It's got the Indian motorcycle, for example is a, a Polaris product. Uh, they, they hold that company as well. They've got some, some of the boat companies that you would recognize on almost any lake they uh, have in their stable as well. And, they, uh, uh, and there's them and their competitors are doing really well uh, this last uh, uh, two quarters and are expected to be doing well going into the rest of 16 and well into 17. Okay? Okay. Now, the last one on here that I will talk about is the metal products area. Which we call it, you know, it's uh, just the way the, the government labels different uh, sectors. In this sector, this is what's driving uh, their uh, slowness in 2016 and uh, fairly rapid growth in 2017 is the job shop part of that uh, component. Uh, job shop market has been doing really well uh, up until 2016. It's taken a bit of a pause, not too much of one as far as production and investment-wise. We're not really expecting them to pause. We expect their investments in machine tools and manufacturing technology to actually grow in 16 and to grow significantly in 17. And why? It's because the cautiousness with which manufacturers have approached the market over the course of the last 18 months, they haven't made a whole lot of expansions. We've seen um, uh, they're waiting and seeing. And when they do that, demand slaps them in the face. The first place they go to, Steve, is to the contract machine shops to get. Um, some of the components that they're, they're running out of and can't keep up with pace for uh, produced on, on batch uh, basis. So we're expecting the job shop industry to continue to have a good year in 16 and do even better in 2017. Okay. So kind of, kind of sum up what, uh, what we're seeing from talking to our members is the Southeast is doing fantastic. It's, it's fortunate in that it has three of the major uh, uh, go-to industries for our, our market right now. They've got, uh, they already have a big investment by BMW, uh, Mercedes, and Hyundai, and now Volvo's throwing a billion dollars in there uh, uh, last year and this year uh, to begin production of its vehicles in South Carolina. They've got aerospace, uh, and we just talked about the deal that's going to be going on in North Carolina. 
uh, and Boeing and a number of its, uh, about 200 of its suppliers have made South Carolina, just South Carolina kind of just light up as uh, the uh, aerospace center of, uh, of the East. And then uh, they have uh, medical equipment, which has been doing well. And I'd add, for them, actually add in a fourth one, HVAC has been going off the rails uh, on forming and fabricating equipment down in the Southeast. Oh, no kidding. Yes. And in the Northeast, you've got aerospace engines. You've got uh, consumer electronics that are going real well. Um, you have guns. Uh, a good portion of the gun manufacturing industry is up in that Northeast, and there's been a run on that in the course of the last uh, six months. Um, and then uh, finally, it's not the, the third best market, but I like to talk about it because we haven't been able to say a word about it in the last uh, year, year and a half, and that's the Southwest. Uh, not big numbers, but for the very first time, we're starting to see inklings of uh, capital spending by some of the industries down there in that part of uh, Texas, New Mexico, uh, Louisiana, and Arkansas. Um, some of it is that primarily IT, or is no? It's, uh, some of it's energy. Uh, some oh, of energy too. Sure, of course. Off-road equipment. Yeah. Um, we uh, we haven't, in fact, at the forecasting conference, we haven't had an off-road equipment speaker for probably three years. We're going to have one this year because there's some promising uh, opportunities there. Um, with the prices of basic materials going down, basic, uh, basic commodities going down over the course of last year, uh, leasing companies have taken the machinery that's in that, that field and, and repurposed it into infrastructure projects and other uh, housing construction. Um, and as it starts to pick up again, they're not going to repurpose it back. They're actually going to start putting new equipment in there. And um, so that's one of the reasons why uh, I think we're starting to see some movement down there. Now, it's not oil field, of course, but uh, uh, we did see a couple of oil field related type purchases. Um, but uh, it's going to take a while because there's a lot of equipment down there that was originally uh, purposed for oil field uh, work in job shops and, and pumps and valves companies um, that will have to be absorbed uh, by additional demand before we ever before we see a significant pickup in capital spending by them. Mm -hmm. um, sectors, automotive is big and it's been growing pretty good, but it's going to be a little bit slower at 16, uh, but uh, start picking up again in 17, probably shortly after the first quarter. Medical equipment is growing faster than it has, uh, and I think I said this uh, to the winter, it's growing faster than it has since uh, the, before 2007. Um, and then recreational, <laughs> That's easy for you to say. Recreational equipment um, is... You are a professional speaker. Yes. Popping onto the uh, screen as a, as a market as well. Key points, manufacturing is going to be a little bit slower in its growth, but it's still going to be growing through 16, and before taking off in a lot of part of 2016, particularly in its capital spending. Um, profitability with our, our key customer industry is still very strong, so they've got money, but to your point at the very beginning of the presentation, a lot of uh, cautiousness, a lot of concern about not just politics and business, but what else is going around the world that could uh, have an impact on their, on their businesses. And then um, uh, the strongest part of our market probably is, is foreign direct investment. Hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, in some cases billions, and then, uh, like with um, Volvo down in South Carolina, uh, coming into the United States on, a, on an annual basis. Okay, and um, and and you know, and I see a question down in the in the chat. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait and answer that at the end. Okay, I think it's a great question. So um, the um, uh, just taking a quick look at our key indicators. Uh, these things are you know. We this got is my favorite slide. 
<laughs> we got cautiousness with the machine tool business conditions. We think it's going to continue to be sliding for the next uh, two to three months. Um, and when I say two to three months, I'm not, we're sitting here in May. Um, my numbers are about March, so I'm talking about April, May, and June probably still being soft before we start to see the bottom in July and August. Okay, and that's an AMT position. It's not a uh, our our forecasters. I'll come to them in a second. Um, and then uh, uh, as per usual, and I uh, don't think I have the slide here of uh, USMTL with the circles on it. No. Um, <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> the, if you were take um, take the USMTO chart you get each month uh, with the press release and uh, circle the September's and even years, you would see they are almost every single major peak in the USMTO cycle, and uh, we expect that to happen again in 2016. Um, now, in bad years, what happens? You see uh, October, November, and December fall off the map. Uh, but I don't think that's going to occur this year, and I think it's because, like our experts say, we're going to see a, a, a rise up in demand for manufacturing technology at the end of the year that will continue well into 2017, and at least one of our experts is thinking it will continue in 2018. Okay. So um, when we look at this, things that I, I have my eyes on, that the Purchasing Managers Index, while it's still yellow, has just broke back over 50. It's been below 50 for a while. and um, the key point here is that that 50 index number is uh, everything north of it is uh, leads to expansion, everything south of it leads to contraction, and we're back over the 50 number, not by much, uh, but if we continue to grow there, that be, that'll be a really good sign. That's why it's yellow because we only seen two months. We like to have three before we make it green. Uh, capacity utilization numbers are been steady. That means that everybody's working pretty hard, and it wouldn't take a whole a great deal of uh, additional need to foster an, uh, an expansion of capacity and, you know, buying new manufacturing technology. The orders for durable, the orders for durable goods, uh, they're a little bit below the 12-month average, but not, not by much, and, uh, and it's a really, really strong number. That's why it's green, even though it's been flat. Housing starts are over a million, and a million is where we, we usually see expansion in um, things like appliances, ranges, HVAC equipment, um, and usually there's a, a slightly used or new car in the garage with all, each one of those uh, homes that goes, uh, goes up. Uh, interest rates are, are as good as they could possibly get. They'd have to be ne negative, Steve, to be any better in the United States. Uh, consumer sentiment uh, fell, has been falling for the last four months. Uh, I believe that we'll see that change um, in, um, when the numbers for uh, May come out. And uh, even though it's been on a downward trend since December, it's over 80. And 80 is a great number. Uh, it's been over 90 almost all of 2015, even though we saw a lot of markets get tighter. Uh, I think that um, as we go into the summer, we'll see that number go back over 90, and we'll see probably more consumer spending as we head towards the holiday seasons at the end of the year. Uh, the Baltic Dry Index, uh, it's red and it's flat and it uh, looks a lot like well, the reason it looks like this is because of that trade picture I showed you. Trade is not growing as rapidly as we would expect at this point in uh, a cycle with uh, GDP uh, on a world basis up by about 2.2%. 2, 2. Uh, 2%. Uh, we would expect uh, at least a 5, if not a, a 6 or 8% uh, percent increase in trade, and it hasn't happened. And then my, one of my favorite ones, the restaurant barometer index is back up over 100. Uh, typically when we see people spending 
more money at restaurants, going out more often, it, it means they feel more comfortable, and that, that's also one of the reasons why I think the consumer sentiment will, index will be up over 90 uh, uh, next month. So whatever our experts say, uh, talking to Steve Klein uh, earlier this week, he sees the downturn in manufacturing technology orders as being average with uh, all the other downturns we've had, both in duration and the depth. So he's basically saying it's going to be a, uh, 2016 will probably be the end of it, and that uh, we'll probably have a double-digit decline, 16 under 15. Um, Institute for Trend Research uh, spoke at our MFG meeting just a few months, uh, just two months ago. And uh, they're looking for a rise in demand coming in towards the end of the year. Uh, and they're encouraging all their clients to be ready for it because it's going to come quickly. When it comes, it's going to be like a wave. Uh, Oxford Economics, who spoke to uh, our members just a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, are expecting a decline in manufacturing technology orders of 1.2% in 16 relative to 2015. But like, uh, like Steve and like the Institute for Trend Research, Oxford is expecting a really good, strong, uh, quick uh, finish to uh, on the upside for uh, on a quarterly basis for 2016. Okay. Now, uh, I'll tell you that at AMT, we uh, we're uh, probably a little bit closer to Steve Klein as far as pessimism, what's going to happen with the market uh, in 2016. That when you look at the year-over-year -year numbers, 16 is probably going to be eight, nine percent down. Uh, maybe even a little further down relative to 2015. Um, but we do, like every one of these other people, believe that uh, as we go out of IMTS, we're going to be on an upswing that's going to last well into 2017. What is it about IMTS? And I mean, you know, we, you know, we've been involved for a long time, and it just seems to me like almost every every cycle, every IMTS year, it, it seems it's. I don't want to say soft is the word, but it seems like things seem to be a little bit just, um, you know, patient, I guess, using your using your term, going into IMTS, and then we come out of IMTS and, and, and we get we get a re, we get a bounce. Well, um, uh, two things. Uh, well, actually, is it is it Peter? I, that was no. going to be the third thing. Yeah, okay. Um, but the, the first two things. Uh, I think that the, the bounce that we've had in previous years, and we have even in odd years, we've been getting bounces for the last 10 years uh, because uh, in December and November, because our Congress, our, our, federal, our federal government, passes tax legislation that makes uh, machine tools more, or actually uh, less expensive through yep. um, uh, re, uh, tax deductions on Section 179 or- Yeah, uh, that 179 deduction was- Right. Cool. So. They do that in late November or early December, and so we see a, an artificial blip in November, December, each of the last 10 years. Uh, and in a show year, that's accentuated. But uh, this year, I think um, it's going to be a little bit more steady. It's not, you're not going to see December go off the charts like it has in the last uh, few years relative to other months in the same year. Uh, and that's because, like you just said, Section 179 has been made permanent, and um, bonus depreciation has been extended for five years. So if you haven't been using that to sell your product over the course of the whole year, you should be. And for the first time in five shows, it's going to be something you can put down in front of people and say, hey, here at the show, take this into consideration because I guarantee you it's going to be in place. Whereas every other show for the last four, you've had to say, 
we think it's going to happen, but I can't guarantee it. Um, and people, you know, people have said, well, if it comes to fruition, then I'll, I'll buy. But, uh, yeah. but the, there's only so many orders you can fulfill in a 30-day period. It has to be in place by the end of the year to get the tax deduction. Um, so I think that's going to help. The second one is um, the uh, it, it is kind of it, it is kind of uh, neat about uh, what's going on in the world and the strength of the U.S. economy and the the fact that um, our manufacturers have done a great job uh, of making uh, U.S. products more uh, competitive and, and the competitiveness that they've brought into their product, products have. Uh, Done an excellent job of mitigating the strength of the dollar, and some of the some of the currency manipulations that other countries have done. And then the third thing uh, would be that, uh, yeah, uh, P Peter is unbelievably lucky. Yes, it's I, you know. I t I'll tell you, there's another trade show that I go to frequently. Oh, not frequently because it's not held every two years. It's held on a more extended schedule, and each of the last three times, it's. Uh, uh, been up and, and uh, running, it's been up and running in a downturn. Um, so that shows unbelievably unlucky. Uh, but Peter and IMTS have been fortunate that they, uh, even in 2008, we were on upswing. Uh, and it happened on the last day of the show that yeah. the, the financial crash occurred. Uh, I think you were at the show when... I was, yeah. Um, so to a certain extent, even then, uh, IMTS uh, occurred before the downturn, um, but um, yes, Peter has the touch. He has the touch. I don't know about that. I just think uh, that, just it's that like Dutch it. luck. <laughs> the, Dutch, the Dutch touch. The Dutch touch. There you go. And uh, um, yeah, so uh, so, so you know, just just to reinforce something here, uh, you know, the question is which geographic sectors do you see growth or decline? You know, and, and, you know, you kind of touched on that by talking about that the southeast uh, seems to be the hotbed, based on what I'm hearing. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, um, then kind of the north, northeast. It is the fastest growing, but it's not yeah. the this region. Great Lakes, uh, is, is uh, as far as dollar volume, is still the big one. And it's because it's got automotive and with Minnesota and Illinois and Indiana's medical equipment industry uh, and consumer electronics. Uh, spread through Minnesota and um, uh, in Iowa and in uh, uh, Indiana, it, it's really got got a lot of meat. Um, so it's the largest. It's not growing, but it's not growing as fast as uh, Southeast. And the thing about Southeast, it's greenfield stuff. Volvo, you know, opening up that plant next year. Uh, uh, Boeing opening a plant in North Carolina in, in 2017 18. Um, that kind of stuff is happening down in the southeast, so it's, it represents new opportunities, not uh, trying to get business with uh, customers that have already bought machines somewhere uh, in their history already. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So would you say, is, is, are there any sectors that uh, um, don't look good? Well, energy still uh, very weak. Um, mining um, looks uh, a bit weak, too. I, so I is, think that, is that mid-Atlantic, or is that... Uh uh, mining yeah. is um, mining is the Midwest. You're talking about uh, Wisconsin, the Dakotas, Iowa, Indiana, and then it's also down in, in North Carolina and uh, and uh, Georgia. 
um, that's where a good portion of that, you know, the Lovejoys, the Caterpillars, the, um, uh, those kind of companies, and, uh, and they've had some difficulties. In 2015, we saw Caterpillar make some significant adjustments in the company to that reflected the fact that people were digging up uh, iron, iron ore and copper and things at a slower rate. Okay. Well, you know, we're, uh, we're at the end of our time. I personally had some of the other questions, but uh, like I said, I was, I was holding off on those because I just didn't want to um, make, us, make us go over. But I think that uh, this was, uh, uh, you know, I hate to say this. No, I'm not. I don't hate to say this. I think this was one of the more interesting reports and discussions that, that we have had over the years, Pat. Uh, uh, um, and uh, I think it looks, uh, you know what, I think that there's, I think the consumer confidence is going to, uh, based on what you're saying and what I'm hearing, I think consumer confidence is going to be good. I think there might be nervousness before the election, though. You know, immediately before the election. And, and then, of course, so next time when we talk, because I'm assuming we are going to talk before the election, you know, and I want to really know how that, you know, which yes. way. I mean, if it's if it goes, you know, Hillary or if it goes Donald, uh, you know, how is how is either way going to impact, you know, what is the projection for how that's going to impact us? So you need to do your homework. Sure. I, I, uh, if I can get her to schedule it for the, um, the last week of October, um, I will have gotten a lot of homework in uh, the previous two weeks. Well, if she was around, we could probably talk to her about that. I am around. Oh, she is around. So I don't Hi. see her. But, but, you know, so I think, and I think all we have to do is she and I just have to put it on our calendars. So. That sounds great. October. October. We will And she's back. So, Pat, thank you so much. I think this was really, really terrific. And uh, here's the uh, contact information for, uh, um, what is this strategic analytics? What's that? What is that? That is uh, a team I'm a part of. Uh, consists of about uh, 10 people. We do um, ad hoc research. We do market studies. We uh, do, uh, and we put together all the numbers that make up the industry f uh, facts and figures. Do you analyze? <laughs> Absolutely. Guess that's what analytics means. Who is that? Even who do is multivariate regression in the background? Who just hit her? Who <laughs> just walked into the screen? Come back here. <laughs> Come, Come back on. here. Was that, Sorry. was that Kim Brown? Was that Kim Brown? Yes, you know it. Hello, Kim Brown. Hi. Stick your face on me. Oh, noise. there you are. There you are. So, all right. Well, thanks again, Pat. Uh, Rochelle, yes. soccer, soccer girl, take it away. Thank you, everybody. All right. All, you all yours, young lady. Yes, thank you guys for participating to our IMTSED webinars. Check out our webinar schedule and join the next one on the 17th. This is re recorded and archived. Yes, thank you everybody. Bye. Bye Pat. Bye Kim. Bye. Bye. I think you're done.